1: Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso and it's my privilege to introduce the rest of the Earth Station Trek crew. Keith Johnson. Greetings. Alan Siler, Giggity. And Veronica <laughs> Daschle.
0: <laughs> I can't even say anything after that.
2: <laughs> I don't know why the hell I did that. <laughs>
0: I don't remember what I had in my brain, but it was really hilarious. <laughs> it and wasn't Jewish. giggity. I
1: know
2: that. No,
0: it was definitely not because I really, really, really hate when people say that. I'm sorry. Well, I'm I know fine. you
1: don't. Oh.
0: Yes. Wait, well, wait,
2: I wait a bursting
1: balloon.
3: I don't even know what that means. What am I missing? What's giggity?
0: Quagmire.
2: Yeah, it's from uh, Family Guy.
3: Oh, I've never watched Family Guy. So that's
2: yeah, what. well, you're not missing much.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: other than the Star Wars episode. And giggity. And and that. You're missing giggity.
3: <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Whew, I was a little concerned there.
1: All right, Alan, you got some Trek news for us this week. Oh, happen- Alan froze.
3: Yeah, I thought of a him freeze for just a second.
1: Okay. Well, Keith, do you want to go with the, uh, the Trek history while we get Alan back?
3: Sure. I'll do this week in Trek. We're recording on May the 11th, but uh, what I tend to do is look at stuff during the week that we're recording. So I pretty much Looked at, say, May 8th through um, May 12th, May uh, 13th. And there's a couple things that did happen during this time in Star Trek history. Uh, First off, on this day, this is a pretty significant one. On this day in 1991, a TNG episode, I Borg," aired. Oh, I've heard (laughs) of that one. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) And definitely underrated, Jim. F-
3: oh, 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 there we go. A little foreshadowing. <laughs> <huh>? <laughs> and isn't that amazing? Because one thing about that show is you know, one of the things people complained so much about Star Trek over the years was that what happened in one show, especially the original series, didn't come back. And I, Borg, of course, introduced the Borg Hugh, the, the Borg that was separated from the collective and through some machinations of people such as Geordi gained independence and sentience. And what was cool about that? That was one story. And then Hugh came back in the same series in the two-part of Descent, mm. where there was there was kind of a blessing and a curse around what Picard had done. Where he had had an option of killing Hugh or doing what he did. It also had repercussions because Amuniteev really read Picard the Riot Act because she was upset, and evidently so was a lot of Starfleet brass that Picard didn't kill or didn't use Hugh to kill the Borg. And so I always wondered what was said about him and then of course Hugh has consequences in a new a certain series that's out now that's right
1: that's yeah. right Hugh had a big part and Alan's back we we continued on with Trek history while you were frozen in time Alan
3: groovy how's up, Alan I was just saying that on this day the TNG episode I Borg premiered uh one of the shows that has gone on to provide fodder for quite a bit of stuff in later episodes and of course later series like Star Trek Picard also, on uh, this week, in May 10th, 2001, Paramount officially announced the name and cast of a new series that was going to be called Enterprise. Okay. Woohoo! And what was very key about that. Um, Enterprise is a legendary show in a lot of ways. I love the show. Many, many people really hate the show. But Enterprise was representing um, Berman and Braga trying to ch- do some different things. For example, the official initial name was Enterprise. It wasn't Star Trek Enterprise. Mm-hmm. It was Enterprise because they were trying to get away from the thing where everything had to say Star Trek. Also, when the show first premiered, if you notice, one of the things they did was the opening credits didn't have Scott Bakula as Captain uh, Jonathan Archer it just said Scott Bakula mm. and they were trying to make it seem like it was, it was different from Star Trek the brass hated both of those innovations and forced them to go back and call it Star Trek Enterprise and later on the brass said uh I really you need to put the credits where you say Scott Bakula as Captain Archer and so forth but i there was a lot of excitement when this show was first announced some people were disappointed. Um, I'm one of those that loves the show. What did you guys think about Enterprise when you heard about it and when you finally saw it?
2: Well, I loved it immediately. Yeah. Except except for the theme song. But everybody says that, so I'm not <laughs> even going to I like, go into I that. I like the
0: theme song. All yay! Right, somebody likes it. I yeah. like it too.
1: I, I've said before that I'm not a, a fan of Enterprise. Therefore, it's,
0: I did not watch it much.
1: Well, hey, you, you, <laughs> have, you have your own Netflix. You could watch whatever you want. <laughs> but at the time, uh, th- this time twenty years ago, I was thrilled because I loved Scott Bakula from Quantum Leap, and I love Star Trek. So you know, put your peanut butter and chocolate together. I thought it was going to be great. So I have my my own um, criticisms of the execution over the course of the run, but. Um, you know, it's, it's it's a Star Trek show. It's like right. uh, mm-hmm. I, I can pick up my little sister, but if someone picks on Earth, then we have a problem. You know, so it's, <laughs> uh, I can pick on Enterprise. But if I hear other people picking on Enterprise, then I get. The yeah, answer. I think there Enterprise
3: will always be legendary for what they wanted it to be versus what it became. But I it. um also on this day on May 11th, 1991. And I apologize. I bored. I said 1991. That's 1993 on this day. Um, in 1991, uh, season four episode of TNG premiered called The Host. And that show was significant because it introduced the race called the Trill into the mm-hmm. world. And obviously, the Trill have come on to become one of the most famous, one of the most uh, inconsequential and probably one of the most beloved character uh, races, at least in terms of Jadzia acts, on Deep Space Nine. Some of the interesting things, however, about the original the host was the concept of the trill was decidedly different. Odin, the host, was for one thing afraid of using transporters because it seems like there was going to be some problem with the transporter and the trill host. There were some weird things later on where there's quite a bit of dialogue where Odin keeps saying that the, the symbiont is really him. And even at the end of the show, when the at the end of the show, after some things that happen where Odan dies and the Trill gets put into Riker, and Riker and Beverly start falling in love. Well, Riker falls for Beverly because Beverly was in love with Odam. At the end of the show, when they actually find someone from the Trill planet, again, they almost make the host seem like the host is almost inconsequential to the Trill, and that it's really the worm that is the person, not the host. That was right. somewhat changed by the time we got to Deep Space Nine, where it was a true joining of personalities. But this was the introduction of the Trill.
0: So cool. wait, what what year was that?
3: 1991. Yeah.
0: When when did the original Stargate movie come out?
1: The movie like ninety six ish, ninety five. The original was it the ninety four. 94, I'm getting there. It was the... Okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. So so the Goa'uld were after. No,
1: the Goa'uld were on the series.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a different sort of alien.
0: Okay. Well, it was still after this. Did they change it? Mm-hmm. So was DS Nine before or after Stargate? DS Nine
1: would have been ninety three. So both were before Stargate.
0: Okay. I was going to have an awesome theory of why they changed it. But it didn't work.
1: No. It really (laughs) was because it was sort of the first draft of the trill. And then when it came to series, Mm -hmm. for one, they didn't want to put um, Terry Farrell under heavy brow prosthetics. Right. but, But also, I mean, it wouldn't make much sense to have a main character on a Star Trek that can't beam. You know, that creates all sort of writing problems. Right. So they made, they made I adjustments. Remember,
2: I don't remember the wording of it in the episode because I haven't watched it in a while, but I always kind of thought of it as it was that one character who was nervous about beaming rather than it being a trill thing.
1: I, I think the implication in the I episode was that, yeah, his species, he was avoiding the transporter saying that it was a him thing because they weren't telling anybody about the symbionts. But- oh, right. But then you come to find out it's because of the ambiance. and you certainly couldn't go seven years on a show with no. a character who has to take shuttles every place.
3: <laughs> exactly. I tried that.
1: That's way. why enterprise ended after only four. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, If you can't beam,
2: we can't have a series. <laughs> Sorry. There you go.
3: Uh, a couple other things that happened during this time, looking at some, some birthdays on, um, May 10th, 1964, Gabrielle, uh, um, I'm sorry, Sonia Son was born, who plays Gab- Gabrielle Burnham in the Discovery series, as in Michael Burnham's mother. Great. Yeah, I was born on this day in 1964. Also born um, on this day in 1966 is Nancy Hower, who you might recognize as Ensign Samantha Wildman from Voyager. Okay. Yeah, she appeared a few times on the show. Ba- basically, her daughter took over, and it was really more Seven and Neelix and Naomi Wildman than Samantha Wildman. <laughs> yeah, Samantha Wildman didn't show up great deal, but she was actually doing a lot of other stuff like directing and stage work. So it's one reason she wasn't on the show a lot. Uh, I was always is-
1: concerned. I'm sorry to mm-hmm. interject. I was always no, concerned uh- about Ensign Wildman because her
3: baby came out with horns, and that seemed <laughs> yes. like it would be terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, there was um. She they had a really difficult pregnancy because of that because the horns that was a that was a problem because it could have killed her with the yeah. horns. Yeah, I absolutely. So. Yeah, and so there there was a lot of conversation about that. And then they did the thing. It's funny if you ever watch soap operas, a kid is born one year and like the next year he's in college or something like that because they don't yeah. like to deal with babies. but with Naomi Wildman, they just said her father came from a species where children grew faster. So she was born one year and a couple of years later, she was walking and talking and reading and stuff like that. So yeah. that's how they got around that. Alexander
1: Roshenko had the same sort of thing going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes.
2: yeah. No
3: kidding. He right? was like
1: seven years old and 20 years old.
3: Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Another notable birthday this week, May 12th. So tomorrow, 1958, Jennifer Hetrick was born. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Hattrick, most people will for Star Trek connection, she plays Vosh, a character hey. that, that people seem to love or hate for Picard. I've always loved her, not as a long term for Picard, but I have always loved her as kind of a foil for Picard. Yes, sure,
1: yeah.
3: Yeah. Very. She was in she was on three episodes of Track Total, two in the original in uh, The Next Generation, Captain's Holiday and Cupid. And then she returned again in Deep Space Nine. In an episode, I just think personally doesn't work. I, I don't think it worked. I think it was weird to shoehorn Q into DS9. I don't think that the chemistry between um, Q and Cisco worked, even if you did punch him. Mm-hmm. It, I, it's not my favorite, but bosh. Another interesting connection she has is she played Corbin Burnson's ex wife on the series LA Law. And LA Law, of course, Corbin Burnson had an appearance as a Q on The Next Generation. Also on L.A. Law was Diana Muldar, hmm. a well-known Star Trek actor, actress yeah. from the original series. So yeah. we have some connections. And one more notable, this is actually not a, de- a birth, but a death, but something I thought warranted mentioning. In 1990, on May 10th, Susan Oliver passed away. Oh. Yeah, Susan Oliver, for those who may not know, is most famous as Vina from the original series pilot, The Cage, who was the woman who had been basically held, well, was being held by the Telosians, and the one that the Telosians used to try to get Captain Pike to fall in love with her. And that was, I think, a really, 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 really good episode. She's a great actress. Something I'm reading about Susan Oliver found very interesting is Susan Oliver tried to direct episodes of Star Trek. She was an incredibly accomplished woman. And they told her, well, you can't direct because you don't have any experience in visual effects. It mm. turns out, however, that was not written. So I guess there was a bias because she was a woman at the mm. time yeah. that they think she couldn't direct. I'm sure. Yeah, and they—it's truly they questioned her abilities. But it's funny, Susan Oliver had quite a few abilities because not only was she an actress, a great actress, and a and a director, but she was a pilot. Yeah, a very good pilot. She actually won a Powder Puff Derby in 1970. <laughs> she awesome. was the four, she was the fourth woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. From the United States, and she was attempting to set a world record flying for the United States to Russia, and would have done it. However, when she got into England, Russia wouldn't let her fly into Russia, so she. <laughs> <laughs> <to start>. okay.
1: <laughs> I keep but meaning it, to watch that <laughs> the Green Girl, the documentary about her that came out yeah. a few years ago, and I, I, mm-hmm. I haven't watched it yet, but I, it's sort of on my perpetual like I should watch this list.
3: <laughs> yeah, she's she's an impressive woman, and that's it in this week in track history.
1: Well, great, thank you, Keith. All right, Alan, let's try uh, Star Trek news.
2: Sorry, I was pretending <laughs> like <Uh-oh>,
0: I was. <laughs> I could tell, though. Oh, that would be too I didn't, do a,
2: I didn't do a very good job. Okay, so um, the first thing I've got is um, we've already known about the the cover art and stuff for the uh, and the release date of the. Um, discovery season three dvd and blu-ray but they have just released details of the special features which i'm super excited about um a quick rundown of them um there's of course a season three overview with uh cast members and writers and producers and the costumes and props and all that kind of stuff um there is a special feature called stunted which um focuses on stunt coordinator, Christopher McGuire and his work with the cast and fight scenes and things like that. Um, a solo piece with Sonequa uh, called being Michael Burnham, where they sort of go over her character growth in the third season. And a couple of things that I'm really looking forward to. One is a, a feature solely on Kenneth Mitchell, hmm. who uh, was, he had played a couple of Klingon characters in seasons one and two uh, was diagnosed with ALS. His condition uh, progressed to the point where he was had basically lost uh, mobility in his legs and is uh, wheelchair bound. And they gave him a new character to play in season three that is a wheelchair bound character. And so this uh, feature talks interviews him uh, talking for the first time about his uh, changing role on the show, hmm. about his disease. Uh, talks to cast members and stuff about him, and I think that's just amazing and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, he was fantastic when he came to Dragon Con. He was just like, he was he was 100% into Star Trek and it was... Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to do nothing but talk like his character. <laughs> that's all he wanted to do. Yeah, talk he'll panels. do
1: speeches <laughs> in Klingon. Yes. Right. That right. And they came up with the new character Aurelio for him. because yes. He was great. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Uh, there's one called
2: Bridge Building. Which by description sounds like it's a focus on the junior bridge characters oh. Owo, Detmer, Bryce, Reese, Nilsson, those guys. Um, it basically says um, fans have been intrigued by Starship Discovery's bridge crew for three seasons. Now they can immerse themselves in all things crew related in this behind the scenes look, showcasing the characters and the actors who bring them to life each week. So I'm assuming that it's those characters. Mm.
0: Yeah. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, they've got
1: your number, Alan.
2: (laughs) Right? I'm telling you, man. Um, And then a a feature called The Writer's Log, which uh, is an interview with Michelle Paradise, who who wrote a couple of episodes in season two and was promoted to co-showrunner in season three. So I'm really excited to uh, hear her talk about some of the -the behind-the-scenes development of the season three Mm storyline and maybe a little bit of season four. Who knows? Um, Other than that, we have um, a little clip was released uh, from the Lower Decks DVD and Blu-ray set of some of the special features. And this clip uh, is just a little segment in a feature talking about the development of the uh, title sequence. And in particular, it talks about the, the scene where Cerritos comes upon a Borg battle and they're like, nope. And they, you know, exit the (laughs) exit, the area. And they, they say that they developed or they discussed every single element of the show. And how should every scene fit into the Star Trek canon, including those few seconds of that scene? They spent weeks discussing, here's what we want to do. How do we do it without them? A, looking like jerks, looking like they're, you know, not ideal Starfleet, you know, candidate kind of thing. Um, And so and the solution they came up with to make it work on screen. Mm. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah. And then the final thing is uh, basically a set report from Anson Mount, uh, who's uh, while they're shooting um, Strange New Worlds, he's promoting his new movie and doing press rounds and uh the most recent thing that i found that he said is that strange new worlds production has been going really smoothly and there's been a lot of like change in production because of uh, covid protocols and there was a quarantine situation where a crew member uh, was around a couple of cast members and there were um, you know signs of possible covid so they had to quarantine them but uh, production never ceased. Everything has gone really well, and he says, in fact, it's been one of the smoothest parts or the smoothest starts I can think of ever having in television. Wow, awesome! awesome. So that's exciting. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all, all kinds of excited about Strange New Worlds, and the fact that they're able to keep this going and not slow down in the current environment is fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think like everybody, they're you know, obviously everybody who's working in person or even at home or mm-hmm. having to sort of change the way that you do everything mm-hmm. so it's it's interesting to see you know they, they can't do you know filming tv shows over zoom you know you don't want to watch spock and and captain pike having zoom meetings every week you know, you get, you, you've <laughs> got to be there in person so they're right yeah i know that it's it's a it's a struggle but i'm glad that they're they're pushing through absolutely and getting this thing done absolutely That's it. All right, great. Then we'll take a... Oh, I'm sorry, Veronica. Did you have anything? No. (laughs) I didn't think so. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take a quick break to promote one of our fellow ESO Network podcast shows. And then when we come back, we'll jump into our discussion topic. So stay right there.
3: (laughs) That was funny. Welcome to Dr.
0: Geek's Laboratory.
3: Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here, with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. (laughs) Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider
2: great things are coming on the nerd bliss podcast we're changing up our presentation while keeping the candidness that you enjoy we'll cover all your favorite shows and movies with maybe a few surprises along the way and you yes you will have opportunities to be on our show on a regular basis that's right you've got the zoom pro account and we're going to use it so be ready. Find us at nerdblisspodcast.com and eso esonetwork.com. And on all the socials at NerdBlissPod. NerdBliss.
3: Listen up.
1: Okay, so we all know the great episodes of Star Trek. It seems like you can't have a conversation about Star Trek without episodes like... Uh, city on the edge of forever or balance of terror devil in the dark inner light inner light far beyond the stars you know in the pale moonlight they those episodes have come up so many times just on this show in the was 18 weeks we've been doing this now have episodes coming out but I wanted to do an episode this week uh, where we talk about episodes that we feel are underrated gems they don't make the top 10 list they they, they don't make anybody's list of the great star trek episodes but episodes that we think could qualify or episodes that we think that people should take another look at and i know that we've all been reading through say uh you know a a list of the greatest episodes of star trek and thought like where's the empath (laughs) right and so i wanted to do an episode talking about episodes like this because this is my first pick is the empath i think the empath is a wonderful episode of star trek i think it's incredibly unique it's season three of the original series when they had budget constraints time constraints and so you get this very just interesting episode where most of the episode there's no sets it's they're in a black void with very it's very minimalistic you know they're essentially you they're in a black box with a spotlight on them and you've got kirk spock and mccoy and then this alien character named who they nicknamed Jim. And mm. you've got a, a wonderful science fiction story where you've got these aliens called the Vians, who admittedly are low rent Telogians. <laughs> you, know, you, right? you, asked, you asked your mom for Telogians for Christmas, and she found the Vians on sale at Kmart and thought that's the same. But oh, that's hilarious! The Vians, totally you know, they're, this the star is going nova, and the Vians have the the ability to save this planet. But first, they 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 selected a member of the species, which is Jim. She doesn't speak; she she communicates empathically and and through motion. And they're testing her by torturing people to death to see if. You know, she will use her empathic powers. She has healing powers where she can absorb other people's pain and injuries to see if she has enough empathy for these people who she's never met to give her life to figure out if this species is worthy of saving. And I think it's a it's a very compelling science fiction story. But more importantly than that, I think it's a great story for the Holy Trinity of Star Trek, Kirk, Spock and McCoy, because they're in a situation where one of them is going to be tortured to death. And they're essentially fighting over who's going to be, you know, Kirk's like, right. I'm the captain I'm going. So McCoy hypos him. Right. <laughs> and then so Spock says, well, you've made it simple for me. Cause now I'm in command. So McCoy hypos him too. <laughs> and you got this great scene where Spock's like, your actions are illogical, doctor. And, you know, so McCoy sacrifices himself to be tortured to death by the viands, you know, just to see if Jim will, will step up and, and give her life to save his. I think it's, it's a, a great episode of Star Trek and it really boils Star Trek down to the essentials where Mm. we've talked before on this show about Star Trek being theater for television. The original series in particular was very theatrical, but a lot of Star Trek is, you know, you got a few characters in a room telling a great science fiction story. And this one, you don't even have the room. I mean, if you were going (laughs) to do Star Trek on stage, this would be a great thing for people to do is the empath because I mean, you could have a few actors in a black box, with minimal Mm -hmm. sets and tell this story. And it's a, I think it's a wonderful story. And I think it's very, it it stands out among Star Trek episodes. And I think it's one that Star Trek fans should, if you've not seen, take a look at.
2: Mm. And I will say that was on my list. Mm. So very well picked, man. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a fantastic episode and so different from so much of the other stuff that was happening at the time on the show. and, really well written and well developed. And I, I think it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm with you on that one.
3: You did. A, it's funny. You, that is on my list of the worst Star Treks. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's in my bottom. What? It's in my bottom five. And but the funny thing is what you say, Charles is correct. The concept is fantastic season three has a lot of great star trek but if you notice season three has the entire season feels like it has a sense of ennui about it the the pacing is slow the acting is slow the characters kind of look like they're almost bored uh if you even look listen to the dialogue it's slower and not as snappy as it is in earlier seasons which is fine and i don't always mind that but That episode depresses me. And to your point, maybe that's the point, but something about it depresses me. I saw it as a kid and I was about nine when I first saw it. And everything about it, the dark setting, the the downbeat music, the weird slow motion thing where they think Scotty and them are going to rescue them. Yeah. It actually, it depresses me and every time, and the music depresses me. So <laughs> I, it's, it, it's, a, it, 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 it engenders in me a lot of negative feelings, which is really weird. Even though I agree with everything you're saying, because I think the actress who I think later went on to do soap operas, and I should mm-hmm. know her name who played Jim is phenomenal. Yeah. And the concept is good. It's just for me, it's one of those where I look at it. And like, it just, makes me feel down when I'm finished. with it. Really weird. But that's a really good choice, though.
2: Well, I'll bet you that as we go through our picks, every one of them is going to be something that one person says, I love this episode. And the other two is going to be like, well, you know, it's just not Absolutely. One of my right. right? Yeah. Which and is the point. That's, that's, that's the topic. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Which is great.
1: <laughs> Absolutely great. All right. And, Bronca, I know you claimed second. Second. You want to go next. That's right.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: Actually, you claimed first. But I wouldn't let you,
0: because <laughs> I
1: picked this week.
0: He's number one. I'm number two.
1: Okay, go ahead.
0: That was from the Muppets, most wanted. <laughs> all right, so um, mine is a little different. It's not. I mean, there's individual episodes, but really, it's all of season two of Voyager. Because I, that.
1: <laughs> not,
2: not okay. Not
0: it. not all of it. One two.
1: Six, seven, eight, nine, we're
0: 12, 12 episodes. <laughs> Twelve episodes of season Holy two. Holy smokes! Half, half that I think are underrated gems.
1: Now I think if people go back on this podcast when we're talking about Voyager, and you will, you will be very emphatic about how early Voyager is terrible. Yes. Uh, yeah, I remember that.
0: Yes, uh, but then I've recently been watching season two, and I'm like, hey, these are pretty good. Yeah.
1: See, <laughs> it's it's a moment of enlightenment.
0: Yes. Give us an example
1: <laughs> of an episode you think is okay. very good.
0: So, so, um. Y'all are gonna Pick laugh. One
1: of the twelve.
0: One of the twelve. <laughs> I'll, I'll start with um, um, pay to- pay Hold on.
2: parturition
0: Par There's no s in it. Partr I don't know the one. Well, the one where Neelix and um, Paris, get trapped on that planet, and they find a little little puppet, dinosaur, humanoid thing, and it has a puppet in it, and that's my favorite part. That's why I picked that one first.
2: So it's got puppets. It's got
0: puppets. Oh,
3: well, You can't go wrong well, with puppets. I mean,
0: it's got a really cute little, little alien puppet.
3: Okay. Is that, is that the episode where the point of it was that Neelix was being ridiculously, insanely jealous of Tom and they had yes. to basically bond on that thing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I remember that one. Yeah, I just saw that one just a couple of months ago. That's actually a pretty good episode. And yeah. they basically end up Sounds- having to take care of a baby together.
2: Yeah. That sounds awful
3: <laughs> because,
2: because I, I just hate episodes of a, one character being jealous of another character when there's no reason to be jealous of the other character. And the fact that it has puppets may elevate it a step or two above you know, the mire that it's, that it's bogged down in, but it just sounds like it would not be my cup of tea. And I haven't watched that one in, uh, probably since it originally aired on television. It may, so it may not
1: make anyone's best of list because no one can pronounce it. Yes. <laughs> exactly right.
0: So, so if, any, did- if anyone knows how to pronounce it, uh, comment. Tell us. Yeah,
1: yeah, that'll help. Comment. We can already read it. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: sounded yeah. out phonetically. It's, type
1: out the pronunciation, and Veronica will say it on the next episode.
0: Yes.
3: <laughs> so, Veronica, did you um, did you like Neelix in the episode? Did you have problems with Neelix back then, like a lot of people did? Because to Alan's point. That episode would, if you really dislike Neelix, you would go, Oh my gosh, I really don't want to deal with this guy, especially his insane jealousy over a girl who looks like she might not be legal. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> which is frankly what a lot of people said about that.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, when I first started watching Voyager, I kind of didn't like Neelix a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still don't like him in especially the first few episodes of the first season. But once I got to know Neelix as a character, like later on going back to these episodes, I enjoy him a lot more. Yeah, I can see that's it. cool. But he was a little absolutely insane. Well, that. We've
1: said that, that same thing before with deep space nine though, too, where, uh, you know, I mean, next gen is the same way also where the characters are terrible when the show starts. But you know, once you've watched all seven seasons, you love them so much. It bothers you less. I think when you go back
2: <laughs> there, there is no terrible character on DS nine, even in the first episode.
1: Correct. It's,
2: perfect in every way oh, okay
3: i think i agree with that,
2: <laughs> I I agree with that. <laughs> me too odo's makeup might not have been perfect yet but That's the true. characters were great
3: right <laughs>
2: all right keith you go
3: okay i um i was gonna do not th- i was gonna i um was gonna ver- veronica beat me to it but i was gonna throw out there to be kind of clever the entire animated series <laughs> but I, I have specifics, yes. but I absolutely have specifics. And I would just blanketly say that even now when I read things online and talk to people and stuff like that, there's there's a to me a shocking number of people who have never seen the animated series. Mm. And frankly, with things like Lower Decks coming out, we'll probably never see the animated series. And for most people, it really does boil down to a couple of things. There's a significant percentage of Star Trek fan base nowadays who started with Next Generation I'm I'm stunned how many people have never seen the original series. I'm I'm just mm-hmm. stunned how many mm-hmm. never have. But other and the other thing that's almost insurmountable to some is the animation. Let's just be honest, it's crappy on that series. It's it's um
2: it's I don't agree with that at all.
0: Well it's it's I mean it it's it's very it is much of its time. Yes. Yeah. It
2: is of its time, but I I I disagree, but you go
3: right <laughs> well, it's it's well. Let's, let's the animation is basic, but let's let me back up and say the production is horrible because there are certain episodes where Kirk is talking and I look and it's Sulu on screen, and, <laughs> and then there's an episode where they're telling, I think Scotty is supposed to be beaming someone down and he has a mustache, and then the next scene he doesn't have yeah. a mustache. So they have all those kind of problems. But a lot of people comment on the animation is horrible. It's um, but so many people miss the point. Like what Charles is just saying about the empath, a show I don't love, but the science fiction concepts are great in it. And the animated mm-hmm. series, frankly, to this day, as far as I'm concerned, still has some of the greatest uh, scientific sci-fi concepts ever. So yeah, that agreed. Being said a couple that's really quick for me that are my favorites. My favorite episode of the entire *Enemy* series. Most people talk about the episode where Spock goes back to the Guardian to um his um and meets his young self because and, that's the only one that a lot of them know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that is hands down considered the favorite. My favorite yeah. is an episode called *The Slaver Weapon*.
2: Mm, absolutely and i love that episode the
3: slaver weapon is an episode where it also it's a very interesting show because you don't have kirk in it and you don't have mccoy in it but you do right. have spock Sulu, and are long story short they find what is called a slaver box and the, the point of the show is that a billion years ago there was a race of beings called the slavers who ruled pretty much the entire milky way galaxy um there was a huge war in which all of the beings that they ruled, rose up, and a billion years ago, most life in the universe was destroyed and had to come back. But the slavers were so incredibly technologically advanced, they have boxes that have stasis fields in them, and they they put things in, it could be weapons and so forth, and a billion years later, these things are still in pristine condition. And the point of the show is that Sulu... And Sulu and Uhura and Spock think they are det- have detected a second slaver box because they have one. It turns out instead it was a trap set by a group of beings from a race called the Kazen, the Kazinti. The Kazin are a, a giant, voracious feline race from an actor called uh, Larry Niven, which is from a completely different science fiction franchise. And they did one of those things where they did a crossover from two different worlds, and it works. It's um, it's a great show in terms of the science fiction because you got this whole concept of an ancient race that ruled most of the galaxy. You have this concept of these beings who have this uh, these boxes that that can keep anything in pristine condition for billions of years. You have a race that I lament that was never merged with the Star Trek universe, other than the animated series. I've read um, the the books that in uh, the other franchise that do the Kazan, the Kazenti race. A seven, eight, nine space. foot. No in space, right. Thank you. A seven, eight, nine foot feline, ferocious race of beings that according to the Star Trek cart show actually fought wars with humanity and lost. I think it's a great concept for Star Trek. I would love to see a race like that because sometimes with Star Trek, when you talk about enemies, you always think about the big ones, the Klingons, the Romulans, then later on, I guess the Cardassians. But I like those shows where they show people that we had. Like skirmishes with, a little wars with that didn't last a long time. It didn't involve the entire Federation. And this is an example of that. I also like the fact that the weapon in here, the, whole, the point of the show called the slaver weapon, is a weapon that literally changes form and function. You touch one thing and it's, it's a handheld telescope. You touch it again and it changes it to a little rocket sled that you can stand on. You touch it again and it has a beam that creates literally a, a pure matter to energy conversion beam. And it's just a it's a great episode in terms of the concept of the aliens. I love the melding of two different sci-fi franchises. I love anytime the main characters such as Kirk and Will McCoy aren't on the show. And to me, it's a absolutely great example of how good the animated series is in terms of concepts and acting. So that was
2: the the two notable things about it to mm-hmm. me, A, it was the episode was written by Larry Niven. Mm-hmm. There so you go. he's basically stealing from his own property right. to, you know, plant his, because the idea was to, you know, integrate the Kazinti into uh, the Trek, but it only happened in that one episode and right. it's mentioned here and there at other places. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing is that by taking out Kirk and McCoy, it's the only episode that Kirk was not in. Um, but by doing that, you, actually give some really great material to Sulu and Uhura, yes. who notoriously don't get a lot of great material. And this puts a, a really good focus on both of them absolutely. and uh, uses their uh, talents and abilities in problem solving and that kind of stuff. And I absolutely love it. Plus giving uh, Spock sort of like a, a command over a mission and a, particularly of these two characters who don't get a lot of screen time, puts everybody in sort of new roles. And I think it's, I, I just love it uh, conceptually and the way it's developed mm-hmm, on screen.
3: Absolutely. Agreed.
1: Yeah, and it's a great example of adapting an existing science fiction story to Star Trek. Something that I, yeah. I know that early on in Star Trek, they, they courted science fiction anthology writers a lot. People who were yeah. very experienced with writing science fiction stories. And it's that's right. something that I, I, I would like to see them do more of today. Agreed. Same here. Agreed. All right, Alan. Okay. Well,
2: let's see. I've, I'm going to go to. Um, well, first of all, my first pick is the entire <laughs> series of Enterprise. Yeah, we're
1: all doing this little there, cheating today. Right? There are no rules.
2: <laughs> exactly. Nothing. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go back to season one of TNG. Okay. And the thing is, uh, it was gr- it was good at the time, but it is so not representative of the heights that star trek would reach in the rest of the 80s and 90s and and the the 2010s and all this kind of stuff um but i have such a special love for season one because i became a a trekker in 82 with wrath of khan and from that point on it was reading novels it was watching the original series it was seeing the new movies that came out it was playing role-playing games and that was my trek experience next generation was the first new star trek series that i got to experience from the ground floor you know Mm. and so that first season looks a little shaky now Mm -hmm. it looks cheap now but i still just love it and there's a lot of episodes in it that i have a great affection for And one of those is toward the end of the season and it's called Arsenal of Freedom. Mm. And it's, it's not a notable episode for any real reason, you know, but the thing that I love about it is that it was the, in at least the way I viewed it, it was the first time that uh, Next Gen was really successful at doing a, a total uh, ensemble piece where every main character got a significant portion of the storyline, whether it was being chased by the little, you know, robotic fighter thingies, or it was, um, uh, Crusher and Picard fall into a hole and they're injured. And, and, and Beverly is really bad off and it puts Picard in the caretaker role for her, which casts him in a different role than he normally plays in an episode. Uh, Riker gets to command the ship. I mean, everybody gets a piece of the action, not to be, be too, you know, anyway, but I, I just think it's a great episode. And uh, for season one of Next Gen, I think it's uh, pretty fast paced. It's, it's pretty action packed and it, it, it's really pacey. It keeps moving at a really good clip and all the characters get good, significant storyline.
0: Mm. To, to your, so that's
2: my pick
3: that that's i agree with you. that's actually a good episode one of the things i like about to your point about everybody getting something to do is when um when you end up with picard and Riker down on the planet they actually put laforge in charge of the enterprise mm-hmm. and yeah, that's right what's very interesting about that is these um these drones, it's really cool. These drones are learning drones. So every time they destroy one, basically the basically the aliens are trying to the, these what is the hologram of a dead race is still trying to sell something. These yeah, war yeah. drones. And every time they destroy a drone, the system materializes a new one that's better, stronger, and has mm-hmm. learned. And what's cool, I, I like about it. I remember the first time I saw it, it actually caught me as there was a drone in orbit attacking the enterprise, and they were losing. LaForge starts to doubt himself. And yeah. the funny thing was, at that time, the forge was not chief engineer. He was still on the bridge, and the engineer, I think, Mr. Logan, actually outranked Jordy. Mm-hmm. And as Jordy started doubting himself during the battle, he calls uh, Logan to the bridge. The, and Logan, mm-hmm. who didn't think Jordy should be in command, you can hear him arrogantly say, "I'm on my way." But during that battle, Troy calls Jordy in and talks to him, and basically she lets him know, "I have." You know, she basically lets him know that she knows he's doubting himself, but they also have people on the helm and navigation who are new. And she basically tells Geordie she kind of ignores the fact that he's doubting himself and she talks about how those younger people are doubting themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it gives Jordy a little bit of a Jordy. you need to be there for them. And whatever doubt he was going to have was gone. And I love the scene because he makes Logan take command of the saucer section and Mm -hmm. Logan's sitting there looking at him and Jordy yells at him. And I always thought that was so cool because the man in command of the ship is not the highest ranking guy left on the ship, but Mm Jordy found some confidence that day. And that's a great scene to your point, Alan.
2: Yeah. And, but at the same time, Uh, You know, season one has a really hard time defining who Troy is and giving her a useful job on the ship, basically. And this is one where she actually, you know, I don't want to say actually serves a purpose because that sounds terrible. But she contributes to the success of the mission and the overall plot of the episode with this Mm. scene that she has with Jordy, where she is the one who gets him to understand what command is basically. I and I, I, yeah. Good point. I'm a big Troy fan Yeah. from the very beginning. So any episode in season one where Troy got some good material, I was a fan of.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great pick. All right. For my next one, I'm going to go back to the original series again. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I'm, I can't believe it. <laughs> All right. And this is an episode that I've talked about on the podcast before, and it's getting a little more recognition now. It seems like, um, I think probably because it's come out in HD, but I think it's one of the most beautifully shot episodes of television I've ever seen, and of Star Trek in particular. Um, and that's Metamorphosis. And I've, a few years ago, I went through and selected a bunch of screen caps of metamorphosis and shared them on facebook and so now every year they come up as a memory and i share it every it's like it become a yearly thing for (laughs) me now because it goes back to that sort of cliche of every frames a painting and it's this Uh series of just shots of metamorphosis where every one of them looks like it was so specifically composed and lit it just the the direction by ralph Sineski and jerry finneman cinematography just came together in that episode and it's one that's it's shot on the little planet set, the little cyclorama set that was famously small, but they pulled some some unique camera tricks in this episode to just give it some more scale and just made mm-hmm. great use of it. I think it's just a beautiful episode, and it's one that I think people... I don't know that it was intended this way, but I know that people have come to sort of grab onto it as an example of um, just non-typical like, heterosexual love, you know what I mean, if that makes sense, of, of, of love that is... Out of the ordinary and uncomfortable for some people that, right. um, with the, with the companion and, um, uh, Zefram Cochran, um, I, I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's a great thing. And I think that it's, I also it introduces Zefram Cochran into the Star Trek universe. So it has that sort of, uh, Star Trek canon connection as well. And I just think it's great. The performances are wonderful and it's a beautiful episode. Yep.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think your point about the love, I think is interesting because one thing I've noticed is very interesting as a black person, I'm very sensitive to how you know people are portrayed and when, when you talk about things like racism and stuff, and this is going to sound really, really, really weird, but I have seen shows and movies sometimes where somebody black is introduced for whatever reason, a love interest or a boss or something, and sometimes, to be honest, the people don't have a negative reaction and given what I've seen and what I still see in the world, sometimes I'm thinking, you know, that's actually not realistic. I mean, mm-hmm. people have our inborn prejudices. And I've always been a person that can't stand that you deny them. I think that you have to confront them and face them and get past them. So to your point, Charles, I sometimes wonder if they would do a show like that. Because in that episode, this is Zephyr and Cochran, who had been at the Warp Drive. When they tell him that the companion is in love with him, he literally asks Kirk and Spock, is this what the future holds? Men and women with no sense of decency. Hmm. Simply because, and Spock, you know Spock, and it, it was so cool. Spock is the one who kind of says, "You, I, I'm gonna have to paraphrase. You have a relationship that has been uh, was it meaningful, fulfilling for both of you." And Spock is Spock is genuinely surprised that Cochrane's freaking out because, to your point, this is a non humanoid being, a thing he thinks of that loves him. I think that's an awesome message, especially back in the late '60s. Sure, and I I celebrate that they were on. I celebrate, I don't have a problem when a character is honestly betrayed as racist or homophobic or all these things if they learn past that because we all carry prejudices and I'd rather we deal with them and learn to deal with them. And I think that's a great example of what they did there.
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, it's undercut a bit because it, the companion is, takes the the form of a beautiful woman at the end. And so it's like, okay, now we're, gonna be happy together you know what i mean but yeah um, he says now
3: i can love her basically it it is still the 60s
0: yeah
1: yeah that's
0: a great
3: show and and great and to your point great 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 sci-fi concepts
1: yeah all right veronica
0: okay so my next one i mainly picked because q's in it um
1: (laughs)
2: does it have puppets in it
0: i don't think so does it have
1: q2 in it no okay wow and are there for
0: no. Wow,
2: does you're out of the, the box. box. This is new territory. Okay, okay for us. but there
0: are two Q in it.
2: Uh, but not it two, t- oh, but not
0: Q2. So, right, <laughs> Tally Ho in it. it
3: There's Tally Ho in it.
0: <laughs> Possibly? I don't remember. What's your episode? Um, uh Death Wish. Okay. Um, and I was mm-hmm. as oh. I was thinking about it other than just beyond the fact that Q's in it and it's in season 2 of Voyager, um it brings up a really interesting point. Um, that people are still discussing of this person has been around this long. there's not any literally not anything else for them to live for. they've they've said it, they've lived a really long life and mm-hmm. they want to end it, but no one wants to let them. Um, right. And in some cases, they shouldn't, obviously. but where where do you draw the line? And mm-hmm. I, I liked how they portrayed that in the episode.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree that's um that's the whole thing about basically euthanasia mm-hmm. and uh yeah that's and that's and right to die exactly right to die exactly it's yeah. it's a very tough one. it's it's been dealt with sometimes in science fiction i know there's a famous and i'm not going to spoil it for anybody who's never seen it but there's a famous scene where somebody dies in um soylent green for example and <laughs> yeah yeah and it's and to the point there's you know, even our in our in our world now you've had this problem there was the famous dr jack kevorkian who granted terminally ill people the the right to die and there was just years and years and years of debate over that and a man was jailed and things like that i saw that episode just a couple months ago it's very well done and very sensitively done and absolutely to your point um we still argue about it because i guarantee 100 people watch that show and there's some of them are going to find it beautiful sad but beautiful and some of them would just be viscerally saying this is wrong this just can't happen yeah Uh, it is a good episode yeah. And, and a great concept because you think about the first thing you think is in this planet, we always think about we get sick, we get cancer, you know, blah, blah, blah. We get old. These are beings that can live forever. And you yeah. even I look at it and I go, dude, then you can, you got to be able to find something else to do. You will manage a planet or something like I that. Mean, I mean, I
0: think after great. people lived through this last year, they might grasp that concept a little bit better. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, good point. Yeah.
3: Good point. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Good one. Plus Riker's in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Extra bonus points.
1: Okay, Riker and Troy will
2: always find the way to be in the other series. And yeah. so was
3: Ke- and so was right, uh, Charles? I'm sorry. What did you say? Jack Kerouac Kerouac was in it also. Was, was he? No. Oh, no. Was he? No. He wasn't. They just oh. bring out some random hippie beatnik dude.
1: Yeah. If if he yeah. was, if he was if that was Jack Kerouac then I missed that. But yeah, it yeah, yeah, was hippie a hippie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <A-F-E>. <laughs> All right, Keith. What's your next okay, pick?
3: We're running low on time, so I'm gonna make this real quick. For me, just like Charles, surprise, surprise, original series episode. Um I've said before, I love the first season. Well, everybody concedes that the first season of OS is probably the best season in a series that has great ones. And I contend that the first half of that is probably some of the best Star Trek that's ever existed to this point. One of the reasons I like the first season and the first half of the first season so much is that William Shatner, as I've said before, was a phenomenal actor in that show. He had depth, he had presence, he was a controlled actor. Nowadays, most people, including Shatner himself, Think of him as the guy who screams "con," the guy who overacts the man who talks like this. And that's not, that's still not the Shatner. I see. I've seen that Shatner, but that's not the Shatner. That's not Kirk because mm. of the first episodes and the episode I like is one called the conscious of the King. Yes. The conscious mm-hmm. of the King is one in which long story short, you find out that when Kirk lived on a colony planet with his family, the people were starving because they ran out of supplies And a guy who came to be known, the governor, who came to be known as Kodos the Executioner, literally killed half the colonists so that the other half could live. Years later, a friend of Kirk's tells him that a man traveling around the galaxy with a Shakespearean company um, is actually Kodos. And the show revolves around Kirk trying to overcome the doubt, figure out that this guy is Kodos, and deal with the anger that he has. It's a great episode because for me, Charles, it's like what you said about the empath. It is, one thing, it's incredibly Shakespearean. I mean, Shakespeare is at the center of the show. It takes place on the ship and on the planet, but it could be a stage play. It doesn't have a lot of quote-unquote action, which is one thing I actually love about it. And what it has is really, really good dramatic performances by everybody involved, including the gentleman who plays a Caridian slash Kodos, Spock, McCoy, a Caridian's daughter, and frankly, William Shatner, who is just smoldering and intense, and a really good actor and not that captain kirk who's yelling over emoting or speaking in that strange clipped way and i would urge people to watch the first half of the first season of star Trek to see why i say that the, that despite how shatner is known and kirk is known i don't think of kirk that way this mm. is the kirk i see in that episode it also has one great scene where When Kirk is investigating Caridian, Spock is investigating Kirk because Kirk is making decisions that Spock questions. And there is an absolutely great argument between Spock and Kirk that I've said before. Spock was much more first officer in the first season than he became later. Literally, Spock is going behind Kirk's back. And and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but Kirk literally says, my personal business and Spock says is my personal business when it affects the smooth operation of this ship. That mm-hmm. kind of conflict you didn't see a lot later on. And I yeah. love it. Right. Yeah. So right. It's, it's a great show, great staging, great acting. Um, just a fantastic tour de force to me. And I love the show.
1: It's worth watching too, even just for the costume work in that episode. Yeah. Because Lenore <laughs> Caridian goes through like like, like you're at a share concert or something. She just has a different, every scene, she has a different spectacular costume <laughs> That's on.
3: That's a good point.
1: And you have to ignore the fact that Kirk is supposed to be about 33 and Lenore is about 19. So you have yes. to put that yeah. to the side. It's 1960s it's still. But yeah. uh, I agree with you. I love that episode.
3: Me too. And then it's got um, um, O'Reilly, who's one of the most, one day we should do an episode. We talked about that. He's just one of the most beloved characters who never stayed around.
1: Mm. All right, Alan, you're your all pick. right.
2: All right. Um, I'm going to go with a story arc. Okay. And <laughs> it is, hey, hey, it's not like 12 episodes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not picking the entire Dominion War here. Uh, okay. um, but I am going with ds 9 oh. And the beginning of season two opened with a three-parter. Uh, mm. The Homecoming, The Circle, and The Siege. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now... Mm-hmm. What I love about these episodes is, first of all, uh, it it sort of tells you, without you really knowing it, it tells you uh, where DS9 is going as a series. That is going into longer form storytelling, um, and it's going into uh, political intrigue and all these other kind of things. Uh, Star Trek had never done a three-parter before, so that in itself felt really exciting and really epic. Good point. And uh, when you, you know, as the more you watch DS9, the more you get into seasons five, six, and seven in particular, where you're getting into much more serialized storytelling, this is really where it has its origin. This is sort of like the first experiment Mm -hmm. in that sort of uh, longer form uh, drama. Um, You get into, uh, it really delves into the situation on Bajor, which coming out of the Cardassian occupation and the, uh, you know, the whole thing with the Federation, you're inviting them in, but they're nothing more than another uh, oppressor. And you have all this, this sort of like underground resistance movement when Bajor has just finished uh, fighting its own war with casting off its oppression. And now there's a, a subgroup within them that's fighting against the provisional government because they disagree with what the provisional government is doing post Cardassia. And, uh, you have the, the whole, uh, situation with Vedic Barail and Vedic Wynne who are, you know, vying for the control of the card of the, uh, Bajoran religious sect. And, and it's mm-hmm. just, it's so good. You get, uh, a, a bit of a stronger bond between Kira and uh, Jadzia. When they go off on their fighter pilot mission, they really start to solidify the the bond between them. And uh, I just think it's a fantastic, you get some espionage, you get some, you know, covert operations and it's just so great. I absolutely love it. And I was really thrilled at the time it first aired. I enjoyed it so much and Made me, and I loved DS9 in first season. But this really felt like a huge step up from anything that they had done in first season, and was uh, going in a direction that I was really excited about.
1: Was this the first time that Star Trek had done a multi-part episode where the individual installments had different episode titles?
3: That's what I'm thinking it is. Yes,
1: I know that became common later was- on DS9 right
3: yeah because right. before that you had two partners like uh what unification yeah B. part one and part like, two
2: yep. best time zero yeah time
3: Arrow, descent mm-hmm. you're right yep. i think it was I, I think that's a good point i hadn't thought about mm-hmm. it I think It was the first three part yeah no. oh yeah in, in star trek um that's good thing. something else to your point too is it laid down so many characters because am i am i mistaken is that the one where it was basically pretty much implicated that kai win tried to have beryl assassinated <laughs> Was that the same one? Was that later? Because that was as they were vying for Kai.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Remember, there was that and there was the whole thing. I can't remember if that was the one or not. It was one before that, but she was there. Remember, it turned out she had tried to she pretty much was behind trying to have him assassinated at one point.
2: It wasn't it wasn't before this. Definitely. OK,
3: so this was the one.
2: It, it has to be this one. Yeah, and it's been a long time since I've watched it.
3: Right. and Which introduced her as an incredibly complex and complicated character because of things. that. Oh, yeah. Like that. Um, oh, yeah. Also, to your point, I think it's, I'm a
2: huge fan of Kai Win. Me
3: too. Oh, yes, man. yes. Something else it did, I think, is cool too, um, Alan, is it even more cemented. To your point, Bajor was like, look, we've been occupied for 50 years. Now here comes the Federation. What's the difference? Yeah. And it actually started having, it helped to have Kira start trusting Cisco and by extension, mm-hmm. the Federation more, because she started yeah. realizing he's not in it just for himself. He actually does care about us. Mm-hmm. Started some of that journey as well, too.
2: Right. And plus, its main guest star was Frank Langella. Mm -hmm. And oh, my gosh, he was so good in it. Yes. Great episode. I I, I really think it's a fantastic storyline and really sort of sets up what DS9 is moving towards.
3: Oh, yeah. And very interesting because you got an Oscar winning actor with uh, playing opposite Louise Fletcher, who's really well known yeah. for her movie roles. And there's an interesting tidbit. Frank Langella wasn't going to do that episode. His kids told him, dad, you got to do that. This is Star Trek. He goes, "Okay, <laughs> right. well, I guess right. I'll do it.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Good choice. Because all, all, the, all, all, the, all the kids are into Star Trek. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. All right. Well, that, that was fun. Um, Alan, where could people find more of you online?
2: Um, let's see. CosmicPress.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com, or find Cosmic Press on Facebook or Twitter. Um I don't know when this episode is going to air, but it might be right around the time that virtual Hulanta 2021 is going to happen. So look for Hulanta on hulanta.com and on Facebook. If you subscribe to our Facebook page, that's where the entire day's worth of convention is going to happen. Uh, going out live on May 29th, Saturday, May 29th, and I've got my Sunday evening music talk show on YouTube, uh, and I stream it on my Facebook page live. Uh, that's Sunday nights at eight o'clock Eastern time, and a different topic each week. The next topic after when I'm recording right now, which is meaningless to when uh, <laughs> listeners hear this episode, <laughs> is uh, the glory days of record stores and I and four other people who all worked in record stores in the 80s and 90s in different parts of the country for different companies are all going to get together and share our stories of just how amazing the whole record store culture was. And I'm super excited about it.
1: It's going to be great. Cool. Wow. And how about you, Keith?
3: Um, you can find me on Instagram and also on Facebook, primarily through the ESO network groups. That's where I'm reachable.
1: And how about us, Veronica?
0: Oh, nerdy.com.
3: Nerdy.com. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've been listening
1: to the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I picked up a thing or two.
0: Okay. Okay. And I have an official thing that I'm going to do at the end of every podcast that I've awesome. figured out. Oh. Yeah. So oh, it's
1: only been 18 it's, episodes. I know. <laughs> exciting. Oh, I know. Next she'll change her mind.
0: Uh, unless I change my mind. <laughs> right. But I don't think or I'm going to change my mind on this one. Right,
1: go ahead. Okay. All right. So
0: please. I'm going to give a Klingon phrase every single week.
3: Okay. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Okay.
0: Till hoi That means please listen to us again but I'm not sure there's actually a police in there in Klingon, but
1: <laughs> I was
2: thinking
0: so, that sounds fuck really fucks.
1: polite. Yeah. <laughs> if you speak Klingon, feel free to send your criticisms to earthstationtrek <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook or on Twitter.
2: Oh, that's funny.
1: Thank you for listening to earth station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating.
0: or by shopping for the Tee Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.